This is a podcast by The Straits Times. You're listening to Career Talk, a new podcast series by The Straits Times podcast channel, Your Money and Career. At Career Talk, we help you take charge of your own career and make your ambition pay off. I'm your host, Tae Hong Yi. Aspiring C-suite officers should stay on and listen to this episode. It may seem like a lofty goal for most workers, but Singapore needs to widen the pool of Singaporeans who can lead local, regional and global corporates based here. To maintain the Republic's competitive edge while ensuring good jobs are accessible. This is why the Alliance for Action on Business Leadership Development was formed by the Singapore Business Federation last year. Comprising business, education and human resource leaders, the Alliance just released a report on June 9th on challenges, opportunities and recommendations to groom locals as top business leaders with international experience. Darling in to help me understand this is Mr. Frank Huan, Chief Executive and Co-Founder of solar energy provider Sunseep, one of seven members of the Alliance with a wealth of leadership experience. Joining him is Mr. Jack Lim, Director of the SMU Academy, the professional training arm of Singapore Management University. So Frank, it's great to have you here to share with us your perspective on how to nurture more talents who are better equipped to be business leaders as one yourself. Oh, we're very pleased to be here to be sharing our experience. And I also want to thank you, Jack, for agreeing to provide insights on how training institutions like SMU Academy can support this goal as well. Obviously, very delighted to be here to share my experiences and also what the landscape provides within the education space. To kick things off, Frank, could you share with us your career journey and how you prepared yourself to perform well with each step up? I'm sure that'd be useful advice for people who are wondering what goes into being a chief executive. Sure. Um, I think for myself, I'll consider myself as an entrepreneur. Although solar has been my kind of my family business for many, many years, decades, I literally grew up in a solar factory. That was my father's business, uh, manufacturing of solar panels and exporting it outside of Asia into US and Europe. But I took the business downstream and developed the company into an IPP, all right, uh, independent power producer. So today we are generating power, renewable energy in more than nine countries in Asia right? and selling the energy to governments, to corporates, to customers, uh, even, even um, residents in Singapore. So I, I think my journey started, I, I would almost say, both fated and by accident at the same time. Why, 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 why would I mention fated? Uh, because uh, I think that's because my father is in the solar manufacturing business. So there is certain expectation in terms of continuing the family business, um, bringing the, the experience I gained in my earlier years into the business, right? By accident part is, I, I guess, the part in me where I felt a bit of rebellious uh, nature, you know, or to try to go against the family and, and try to start my own business. So that being an entrepreneur, and um, I started various business before holding the reins of the family, uh, including, you know, different depths into F&B, marketing, um, distribution of uh, consumer electronics, in- including investing in some other companies prior to coming back to the family uh, business to take on the reins of uh, running the uh, energy. But I think all that allows me the, a different exposure into different segments. For example, uh, marketing, right? So I learned how to market consumer goods. 
So how to think uh, in terms of uh, what would be deemed as an attractive offer to a consumer and how that is bringing into a very traditional brick and mortar type of business, which is infrastructure, how, how, how that is deemed attractive. So, um, and including investing in companies that experience also allows me to now think from an investor point of view, what would be meaningful and what was value creation in a company. So to build on that for our next question, Frank, what do you look for in your successor as a leader of your business? What are the traits or skills right, that are important for a role like yours that you, you generally find quite difficult to see among local talent? Yeah. So because in, in my field of work, uh, we are in the renewable energy. Even if I say renewable energy today, many people will say, oh, that's a very new and you know, sunrise industry, right? Although we've been around for more than 30 years. Because of the fact that most people perceive renewable energy uh, as uh, very new, therefore, when we hire people, it is very difficult to expect very well experienced folks to come through the, the company, right? Into the company. So it is many times we, we, we train people from scratch. We find the nearest industry. For example, if we are hiring uh, M&A personnel in the company, we will look for someone from the finance sector. It's hardly someone say, I'm 10 years in a solar company, therefore I'm joining, I want to join this company. So, so uh, I think the most important traits for me is the willingness to learn. Because uh, without that, the industry is expanding rapidly in such a great scale. Uh, innovation and willingness to learn comes together. If, uh, if you're not willing to learn, there's always new things and, and very soon, you know, the disrupting company will be own self be disrupted as well. And a successor, I think that, that has to come with years of experience, right? So that is the trust and confidence to be built up in that individual to be able to pass on right, uh, the reins to this person. So I'll open this question to the both of you, Frank and Jack, as both of you were members of this alliance. How was it like to participate in this alliance over the last few months? Were there any results or discussions uh, for either of you that were particularly insightful that will help you take back to your organization to work better uh, I, I think uh, for me, the biggest takeaway being part of this uh, AFA uh, really is to learn how we see talent being nurtured in Singaporean companies because Singapore is at the you know, balancing point between inviting foreign talent, you know, uh, the pursuit of excellence, right, uh, to hire the world best into the country such that we can wrap off the experience and knowledge from this individual vis-a-vis -vis training a local talent sending this person out into the international uh, markets and then coming back. Hopefully the person comes back and then have the same effect. So uh, how to balance this is, is a very tricky thing, right? Because if you just care about performance and, and, and then that will tilt the balance between local hires and grooming local talents vis-a-vis -vis, uh, inviting foreign talents. So on that point of nurturing talent, I think this is a great uh, time to transition to Jack here. So how about you, Jack? What was so insightful about the AFA study for your work process? I think uh, there are many, many takeaways for me. Actually, this journey is for us, uh, together with Frank in this uh, AFA committee, actually started about a year back. So um, there's been quite a few. I think if I could just highlight one of them is actually beyond nurturing the, the leaders for tomorrow, uh, we are looking also uh, looking at leaders for today. So that's one. And on that same vein and same train of thought, it's also very critical that as leaders ourselves in our own organizations, um, 
one of the things that we have to look at very, very systematically and very purposefully is really to build a very deep bench within our own organization. And that's, that has come to be very critical because um, if I can use a sports analogy, right? If you have the starting five in a basketball game, those are your starters. But building a deep bench means that if any one time any of our starters are injured or are taken out, any of the people from the bench can seamlessly step in to actually perform the task on hand during the game. And that, that has also been a challenge, not just to find the leaders of tomorrow, but also to find the leaders of today. So, um, and that has been a key takeaway. And within SMU and SMU Academy specifically for me, is that I am constantly looking out for not just to groom talent, but to give them the right exposure timely so that they are also given the opportunity to then using mini projects to have a taste of what the starting five are going to be. So building on that, I think the deep bench is important because as we are trying to grapple with building the leaders for today, we are also trying to balance the act with finding leaders for tomorrow. And I'd like to say that the substitute or the deep bench, it is not a replacement, but is really a reinforcement. So with that, we, we need, as leaders of today, we need to have that thinking that the people that we are grooming for the deep, from the deep bench is not your replacement, but really it is our reinforcement. So how can an institution like SMU Academy contribute to nurturing business leaders uh, like Frank in greater quantity and quality in a timely manner? Because it is these three elements, right? We need the numbers, we need the quality, and we need to get them quickly enough, as Frank was alluding to, because there might be a trade-off between filling the need immediately versus nurturing the local talent, even if it takes longer. So that, 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 that's a great one. I think education is one way. And uh, we obviously, one of the things that institutes that ourselves in SMU Academy come into play is that we provide programs that really exposes um, professionals uh, with global perspectives teaching them are really diverse business practices and cultures around the world. It's really about broadening your horizons and developing the global mindset. And as you know, uh, in Singapore, what we only have is human resources, right? So the other part of it is uh, having the exposure is another crucial factor. You know, Singapore can create more opportunities for professionals to really gain international exposure like your study abroad programs or international internships. And these are really crucial. Getting out there and experiencing different business environments firsthand can really shape our understanding of the global business. I think last but not least, I think support is also vital as well. Um, Singapore can establish mentorship programs where seasoned global leaders can guide and inspire the next generation, someone like Frank um, in also in the various industries. Creating networks for knowledge exchange is also important. Uh, like like-minded uh, industry conferences or networking events can connect professionals with international business communities. Thanks, Jack, for that. So perhaps I then have a natural question that I would love to see both of you uh, share your thoughts on. Can we train for business leaders? Is it possible to train someone to be a CEO? Is there some sort of training program or what sort of training programs are needed to perhaps fulfill the requirements of the role? So perhaps I could start with you, Frank. Do you think it could be trained for formally? I, I, I think to a certain extent, uh, yes. All right, for sure. Uh, that's part of the reason why we have the AFA to try to plan for this, right? I mean, other than the person individual traits, right, uh, which includes things like your, you know, whether the willingness to learn, I mentioned, or the leadership 
you know, some some people tend to have uh, exhibit more leadership than the rest. Uh, at least for for me, when I started this myself, right, I I, I wouldn't imagine myself. Uh, the ambition is to be a CEO. Uh, the ambition is I I want to get this thing done. All right, and slowly as you get more and more thing done done. You train yourself up the corporate ladder. I, I would imagine that is more natural way to think about this. So, so yes, a、uh, true education, true learning, true communities and networking. Right, you rub、uh, shoulders with people who are experienced, and you gain the knowledge yourself. I think through all that, that can be using your words to be trained. Right, you can actually enhance、uh, the leadership processes and skill sets of the individual.、Uh, that certainly can be achieved. So then. Um, what about you, Jack? So, do you think what are the parts of being a business leader that a training provider institution like SME Academy can help to train for? As what Frank has mentioned, I think there's、uh, there's multiple dimensions and components in order to train someone. I'm in the in the business of education and training, so certainly training is important. But I would also go further. It's like peeling onion, going deeper to the next layer and the next layer. Uh, it also depends on、um, the attitude of the person who is being trained, because I always have a strong desire to believe that your motivation and your attitude will determine your altitude in life. So, if a person wants to go high, I mean, yes, you can work hard, you can do the necessary thing, you must have the right connections, everything you do. I think at the end of the day, I mean, I would like to believe, and I've seen it with my own eyes for the last twenty, thirty years. Having a great attitude will determine the altitude that a person wants to go. So while training is important, the attitude of a person is important, coupled with all the other things that's been wrapped around the exposure, opportunities, the networking, and all these will take the person to where he or she wants to go. So how can Singapore create an environment that enables more of these learners to develop their sort of motivation so that they can? Take these classes seriously and learn more from it, and then apply it to their work. What can we do to improve on this? I think, I think for me, the world has really changed quite a fair bit compared to ten years ago, right? Where there are a lot of opportunities to learn. You know, being in a job, one of the at least I see from the newer generation、uh, when they go for looking for a job, is whether they can learn something from the job itself. Even as they choose to leave one job to another, one of the strong motivation is also whether they can learn more on the other job. And 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 then you 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 kind of look at the entire industry.、Uh, I mean the the job whatever jobs there's opportunities out there. Vis a vis are those ad hoc jobs, right?、Uh, there's a lot more、uh, jobs that is based on gig base, right? And those are also opportunities for learning. They I think、uh, individual today they have a lot more opportunities than ten years before. Uh, they can do jobs that are international because of COVID. I think we are all used to doing digital meetings, and and with ChatGPT nowadays, you can further increase your productivity by many times, right? So the opportunities to learn becomes much more. I think even companies are, I would say, competing against the willingness to learn and the desire to learn to retain talent in the company itself. All right, they are competing here. So so to me. The stage is already set. The world stage is set today for many people、uh, to to have opportunities to learn. Is whether the individuals、uh, pick it up. So, if I could add on,、um, learning education landscape has dramatically changed, especially since COVID. We do not have a lack of opportunities to learn and to train. 
Is it face-to-face or online or hybrid or whatever methods, right? So we've seen that being um, incorporated in multiple levels, not just across Singapore, but across the world as well. Uh, opportunities, multiple opportunities. So it's really about, from my experience, um, how do we provide that stage and that platform for people to pick the right learning at any one time so that it's a just-in-time kind of learning for them to be then using that to be applied in their workplaces, in their own personal lives, very next day or the Monday when they go back to work. Second thing I would say is having so much opportunity to learn, we also go back to some of the more traditional, if I could say, style of learning. And that is through um, coaching or mentorship. Sometimes can be within the company, sometimes can be somebody outside of the sector industry or outside the company that can lend a pair of lens that you may not ordinarily see. So that is something that I would also encourage as I see some of these learnings going past. I, I think the other part about what I wanted to share about is also exposure, which I talked about a bit earlier as well. In many things, we do things with experience, and that's without a doubt. Sometimes it may take years, but we can sometimes shortcut some of these experiences with exposure. And that is, to me, is very important as well. So exposure, as I mentioned, can become in multiple ways. So we, we have to foster that opportunity to enable people to come to a place where all the ingredients are there is as how do we harness some of these things together in a very meaningful way so it becomes something easy and palatable for people to take up. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. Let's get back to our conversation with Mr. Frank Puan, Chief Executive and Co-Founder of Solar Energy Provider Sunseep, and Mr. Jack Lim, Director of the SMU Academy, on how Singapore can grow more top business leaders. I have a question that has two parts. First, is it important for Singaporeans to gain international experience to prepare themselves, for, especially for senior business leadership roles? Uh, why is it important? And are there enough Singaporeans who are going out there to do this? Hmm. I, I'm very interested in this topic, right? Because uh, my business is about going into different markets, in especially in Asia. And uh, many times, we, we because we are involved in energy, we need to discuss uh, those issues with the local government. So not only must we be outside of Singapore, we, we need to, and we need to be familiar with the local environment. So uh, I, I think the, the, the answer to your question is really depends on the company's business, right? If the company's business is one where it requires the company to grow beyond Singapore, then the answer is obviously yes. So obviously, if the companies cater to more local demand, then maybe less so. But I think more and more companies are experiencing the fact that Singapore is a small market. All right, comparatively, when you look into the region, when you look at global scale, right? China, each province is like a market by itself. Uh, there, there are different parts of China that, uh, that we set up offices in such that we can tap to those markets. Uh, so when we look at the country, it's not just the country per se, but we look at how many markets are, uh, how big is that market? We then segmentize how many offices. It's really not just one country or multiple countries. There's how many markets are we talking about? Just back to the point of learning, right? Then an opportunity to learn because of the way we communicate now is so, is so ready. Therefore, it is much easier to network with overseas colleagues and business today than, than before. 
it's much easier, right? Uh, through trades and associations, getting involved in mission trips outside and then following up with internet meetings. I, I think that is much more ready today than before. So there's hardly any reason why we shouldn't <laughs> uh, expand internationally, right? So, uh, so for someone, I, I would imagine to, to develop a sizable business, usually that, that means going beyond the scale of Singapore and that means internationalization uh, and, the, and the experience that goes with, uh, the global experience that comes with it, I think is important. I think it depends on uh, which sector you speak to, but I think in general as a whole, uh, it's almost imperative that if you want to be any Singaporean business leader uh, worth your salt, right, so to speak, you have to go international. And we have seen that continuously. I mean, um, don't get me wrong, there are lots of Singaporeans who actually have ventured overseas. But um, so going overseas uh, is one thing. It's not your holiday traveling outside of Singapore, while that is a form of exposure, but it's not the same as going to do business and being immersed in that region or that country in a very serious way. So from, from my perspective, I think one of the things that we do in SMU Academy is that we actually have internationalization series that we bring, especially small, medium enterprises owners out from Singapore into various markets around the world. So we have those programs that we bring them to Vietnam, bring them to Indonesia. We even bring them as far away as to the Silicon Valley in San Francisco and also to Israel. So we have all these um, things with here. We've been doing that for quite a number of years now. And it's been very well received. And generally, what they do there is other than networking amongst themselves, it's also the company business and the networking that they do in those countries in these regions as well. And that is also crucial for not just from a understanding perspective, but also from an exposure perspective, that's what's out there. And as Frank said, the, the market is infinitely much bigger than the Singapore market. So if you, and in, in this day and age of uh, internationalization, your business cannot survive just purely on the domestic market unless you are like a huge country like Indonesia or Vietnam, right? Or Thailand. But other than that, you have to go international. But we are seeing that. So another part of it is that so if you're, you're not an entrepreneur and you're working for a company, so I, I think we are starting to see quite a lot of Singaporeans who are willing to be exposed by living in another country for a longer period of time, taking out the opportunity. But can we do more to harness that? I'm sure we can, right? So I think it's that balancing act again, right? How do we ensure that the support is, is there? Especially so after being there for X number of years, how do we provide that same support as they come back to Singapore? So perhaps uh, then I would like to relate this back to the AFA's work. What are the avenues of support that we can still further build on to make it an option that more would consider and more would commit to, to go out there, get the global experience and come back and contribute with this global experience? I think uh, one of the things that we discussed in AFA where we, you know, sending Singaporeans uh, out for exposure is really how do we deal with the family, the individual's family, right? Because many times, especially if talking about senior positions, uh, the person will have reached a certain age with experience and, and will have set up a family, right? So I think a lot of considerations will revolve around what will happen, right, to, to the family. And uh, is the person with kids, you know, if you think about kids, then how, how do uh, the person will probably think about education for the kids as well to that extent, right? So I think the, the, a more thorough thing through on how to help 
not just the individual, but the individual spouse and kids to move together, I think it's important, right? Uh, right down to even what does the spouse do when is overseas, right? Is there something to do? Is there a allowance or for, for the spouse, et cetera, et cetera? I think the AFA did went through the thinking process for others. My, my work, like I mentioned, is involved in sending Singaporeans out because our HQ in Asia is in Singapore. So we do send Singaporeans out and those are very real issues. How to deal with the family, how to deal with tax, for example, is another. Uh, if, you, if you go to a certain country, the, the certain tax regime is different. How do you deal with that? So all that has been discussed. Again, I think to, to further Frank's uh, points is that we did discuss all these things and some of these things are also very real. And also the very same things are the ones that are preventing and restricting people from wanting to go overseas. Because um, personally, I also have friends who have been in that situation and a lot of the friends that I have, they, they come back at a certain time because the, the, their sons are due to serve national service. So they have to come back at a certain time. And I think the transition from them coming back after many, many years away, um, given a case where what, it was a real situation for, for one of my friends, he said he's been in China for X number of years now. And he, he came back because his son is well to serve NS. So that, that's one real thing. And how do we assimilate him or her, these people back into the local context? And some come back in time to do the, the, the respective uh, examinations. How does it prepare them to come back and do the right thing, right? So uh, there's obviously various routes you can do. So I think to also add to what Frank said, I think the other part is, um, is uprooting the entire family out. And that means that what do we do with the spouse? It could be the wife or it could be the husband who is now impacted, right? Depending on is it the wife or is it the husband that's gotten the job overseas? Then how do you, what do you do with the spouse? And that's something that we also have talked about and in quite a serious fashion. And there is no silver bullet, so to speak, even if I could say it that way. But I think we, we, we did debate on quite a number of factors. And I think that's, these are the support that I think most people will be looking for. I think if there's a clearer pathway and sometimes, I think sometimes, uh, you know, it forces the decision-making hopefully into a much smoother one. So how were these issues raised? Was it in the process of discussion within the AFA or was there some sort of consultation with uh, among peers and fellow leaders? How, how were these issues surfaced? So I guess uh, the different members of the AFA, uh, they are from different industries and we each one bring our experience and uh, our knowledge of some of these pain points right, to the table to discuss. Uh, I recall one of the member is from LinkedIn as well, right? Uh, another Frank, right? Uh, also LinkedIn, right? And I mean, looking at the huge database that LinkedIn has, right? Uh, of the professionals uh, in the LinkedIn database. He obviously has gone through a, a lot of this kind of various issues and different companies that is working with LinkedIn also deflect out some of these issues that we discussed. I guess in terms of like, uh, I think Jack mentioned no silver bullet, uh, to, to address all this, right? Because each company will have its own consideration. I think the general consensus is we recognize such issues and there is a certain desire to move in the direction to enable companies or to at least allow the knowledge to these companies to acknowledge this issue to address at them individually. I think to a certain extent, uh, we brought out the topic of Tomasic as well, right? So for example, right, Tomasic being a major investor in many companies here in Singapore and Many of these are, have presence in multiple global presence, including in many parts of Asia. So if an individual goes to, is being sent to a different market, 
can the spouse, maybe the spouse is working in the other company that is a subsidiary to market, can the person be considered to move together? Uh, I think those were also topics that we have talked about, right? So no silver bullet, but I think the acknowledgement of such issue and then the, the direction to how to deal with it, I think is important. I think it's important that we have these issues. We've put together it all in one place. Uh, we've raised it so companies have some sort of reference rather than just having to do the work from scratch themselves. I think that's very helpful to know these are the problems and then, okay, then the next step is for them, as you uh, alluded to, to then develop policies within their constraints to address these issues specific to their company. So I think this is a great note for us to just uh, end off the show here. I really want to thank Frank and uh, Jack for really candidly sharing your work in, in the F- EFA as well as individually, you know, as a business leader, Frank, and as a leader in education sector as well, Jack. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for this third episode of Career Talk. I'm Tae Hong Yi. If you resonate with the points raised, do share this podcast episode with your friends and family. We'd love to hear from you about what you have done to prepare yourself for leadership roles and further questions you would like answered. You can also get more career and personal finance tips in the latest edition of ST's Head Start newsletter. We have all the links in our show notes. I'll be back on the second Monday of every month with Career Talk. Thanks for listening. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.